0: and welcome back to the Ocean Impact Podcast. My name is Amelia Helt and I'll be one of your co-hosts for today. But as usual, I am joined by the main man, Tim Silverwood. Hey, Tim.
1: Hey, Amelia. Here we are again, episode five.
0: Very exciting, our Pitchfest 2021 series, talking to these incredible founders. And Tim, we've got a little bit of news to share with the listeners and viewers. Do you want to maybe give us the scoop?
1: Sure thing. Guys, yeah, I can reveal that the Ocean Impact Pitch Fest 2022 is back. We've locked in a date to officially launch the campaign on the 9th of August 2022. But sneakily, last week we actually opened pre registration. So you can go to our website now. And if you're a startup or entrepreneur, you can fill in your details and be the first to know when applications officially open and all the great news about the award categories this year the prizes it's going to be bigger and better we are super pumped
0: exactly so if you guys are interested head to the link it's ocean-impact.org forward slash pitchfest 2022 and we are very proud to also announce that we've secured zip water and dicker data again as spotlight award sponsors and we're so proud to have these incredible companies on board isn't that right tim
1: It really is. So as part of the Pitchfest campaign, we really wanted to build a program that could shine a light on people working on specific solutions to ocean challenges. So we went to Zip Water and said, hey, you guys are coming up with solutions that can prevent the scourge of plastic water bottles impacting the ocean. How about you, Sponsor? our plastic pollution solution spotlight award and they jumped on board in year one and have now agreed to year two as well and of course Data, these guys work in technology and making sure that everyone is connected and that data is streaming across this planet as quickly as it possibly can and so we went to those guys and said hey we think people working on solutions to improve our understanding, our knowledge, our data collection from the ocean, they need a spotlight shone on them and Dicker Data came to the rescue. So very pleased to have both of those sponsors on board again for Pitchfest 2022 and, of course, we'll have many more announcements about other partners involved in the coming weeks.
0: It's so exciting and, you know, what we love is having passionate and like-minded companies kind of rally around Pitchfest. And if we're speaking about passionate people, I think that's a good place for us to introduce uh, Better Packaging Co., which is the episode for today. Uh, We have the co-founders, Rebecca Pekaski and Kate Bezar, and I'll give you guys a rundown you know better packaging co-makes sustainable and home compostable packaging for e-commerce things like mailers satchels envelopes plus much more but the jewel in the crown at the moment is their plastic range they work with communities in southeast Asia for who coastal pollution is a a pretty big issue and they pay them a fair wage to collect ocean-bound plastic which is then used to create these Plastic packaging products. So it, uh, it saves plastic from ending up in the ocean. It lifts people out of poverty or job uncertainty uh, and it offers a circular economy model for packaging. It's such exciting stuff. Tim, talk to me about when you first held one of their uh, compostable mailers in your hands, the I'm a dirt bag.
1: Yeah, so I remember um might have been one of the products that my wife got shipped to our home. And, you know, you're so used to seeing this abundance of plastic satchels being used in mail delivery in Australia, and I'm sure it's the case around the world. And suddenly here was this one that had this lovely rubbery, soft texture. And lo and behold, I looked past the branding, which is, you know, I'm a real dirt bag, and found out it was certified home compostable. And I was like, yes, someone has finally cracked the code because You know, I'm a real um, advocate of the circular economy and a big principle there is to say, well, everything comes from the earth, so if we can get our systems right, then we can make types of packaging from the earth, from renewable resources. We can make it fully compostable and then when we have the services and the infrastructure to either compost at home or put it back into a, a FOGO, a food and organics collection, then it can go back and become soil again to feed humanity. So I was so impressed when I saw their model. It's great to know that you know these guys are innovative packaging experts now. They started obviously out with this home compostable solution, but they have really diversified and broadened the range. They've got reusable mailers now, and their biggest and newest innovation is this one where they've said, you know what, we feel good that we're using resources that are renewable to create this home compostable packaging but it wasn't enough for them. They really are aiming to be as effective as to protect the ocean as they possibly can, and they realise that a big solution was to go to countries where huge amounts of plastics were leaking out of the system, working with those local communities to collect that material so it doesn't end up in waterways in the ocean and then bring it into their product supply chain. So, you know, we've been hearing lots about ocean-bound plastic for things like fashion and, you know, our partners HP use it for laptop components and packaging. But to get it into this soft plastics form, I think is a really great achievement and these guys should be extremely proud.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit like alchemy or something because, you know, for anyone that's kind of ever looked into this, soft plastics is a, a quite a hard area um to do things and so and you know the ladies jump into that in this episode um it's it's really fascinating but I think that 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 was you know this kind of idea of like it's almost alchemy how they've gotten to this point because they've tackled a problem that was was hard and perhaps that's why there weren't a lot of solutions for it Um, and something I loved about this episode was that Kate and Beck, they did something that I think all startups should do and it's that they genuinely started with the problem and they did that by noticing a trend. So they realized that e-commerce was going crazy and continuously increasing, you know, online shopping is big business and with, you know, certain recent events, it's only increasing. But they realized that, you know, as a result, there's going to be a lot more plastic waste there had to be a better option, and they created that better option. I think for any startups listening, or founders, or people who have an idea, um, this episode, that kind of idea, and they de- delve into that a lot, is going to be super handy.
1: Yeah, it really is. And I just love them as a team. You know, they both had had successful careers. They'd done a lot you know Beck had already founded a successful startup and they just knew that they wanted to work together so I think another big takeout for me was you know a lot of people out there who are founders or have got an idea and looking to build a business one of their biggest challenges is going to be finding the right partner so look at the way these guys behave together having worked so closely and so hard over the last six or seven years building this company and there's plenty of lessons to be learned there.
0: There's so many gems. I'm looking forward to hearing everyone's uh you know comments and takeaways. So guys, leave us a review um, or a comment uh, wherever you get your podcast. You can watch this on YouTube as well. Have a good one, guys.
1: Thanks everyone. I'm absolutely thrilled to have on the Ocean Impact podcast Pitchfest 2021 season series. We've got Kate Bizarre and Rebecca Pekaski. From the Better Packaging Company, tuning in today from Auckland in New Zealand, Kiora, Rebecca, and Kate.
2: Kiora, Tim. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having us.
1: Oh, thank you so much for joining and for all that you do for Planet Ocean. We were so thrilled to see your very strong application in Pitchfest 2021 and just to see the incredible impact you've had in a very short amount of time. How about we start with a bit of a dive into telling the audience what the problem is that you are solving through the Better Packaging Company.
3: Yeah, I, I think the problem that we initially set out to solve is actually different to the problem that we're now solving. You know, Our remit certainly got broader. But let me start with where we started, and that was that we... We could see the huge amount of growth in e commerce. Uh, We could see, and we realized that there was going to be a huge amount of packaging waste associated with that. You know, every time you order online, it will more often than not come in at least one or two layers of plastic. Uh, And so that was where we started to try and find a more sustainable way of packaging online orders than a traditional sort of virgin plastic courier satchel. So that was where we started, and we, we launched in 2018 with a home compostable. Mailing satchel. Uh, And where we've come to, and and we've grown a really successful business through that. But a couple of years ago, or 18 months, we turned that on its head and said, look, rather than just trying to find a solution that does less bad, for want of a better way of saying it, let's try to find something that can actually do a whole lot of good. And that's where we're at now.
2: Yeah. So we're super excited that we've just recently launched Plastic. So we are making packaging out of 100% ocean bound plastic pollution. We're working with communities in Southeast Asia and paying them a fair wage to collect pollution off their beaches and waterways and we're turning that into packaging. So it's got this really beautiful social side to it because these are quite often people who don't have access to consistent work uh, and we're giving them a consistent stream of work and in, in turn, we're also cleaning out their beautiful nature and land and things like that. And then the third part of it is that you're actually replacing something that traditionally might be using virgin plastic, so it really hits a home run on all areas and it's really neat and I think there's a huge shift from us, as Kate mentioned, from this idea of reducing environmental impacts to actually making products that do a whole heap of good. and. Uh, it just it just totally turns packaging on its head, really. But in terms of the problems that we're trying to solve, it's still about giving
3: e-commerce sellers, online merchants, more sustainable ways to package their goods. And it's actually our remits a bit broader than just e-commerce now. But you know, we're also solving or helping to solve the ocean plastics crisis. Uh, we're alleviating poverty at the same time. And in fact, this range makes a positive impact towards 13 of the UN's Sustainable Development Goals because uh, we work with marginalised communities. Within those, we'll often be working with women. We're creating infrastructure in those communities that will have a lasting impact, so it's, it's pretty special.
1: It's seriously special, and I can't wait to come back to touch on some of those key moments and those innovations that you've gone through throughout your, still a relatively short journey, but they're so significant, each of them. But let's go a little bit into yourselves, your personal why, maybe a touch on your careers before starting Better Packaging Company. I'd love to see uh, how we frame your journey to being where you are today.
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's really interesting. And I've always been someone that believes that everything you do in your journey gets you to where you end up. And it's sort of never been more true than where we've both ended up. I really feel that everything's brought me to this moment. And uh, Kim and I actually have really similar backgrounds in that we were both in management consulting. I was focusing on technology. I actually started as a developer uh, and worked for really large blue chip companies like IBM and HP uh, and, and managed really large tech implementations, but had quite an entrepreneurial spirit and was quite often questioning the status quo. And so... Co, um, co-founded co another startup, a tech startup, Starshipper, which is quite big in Australia and it's sort of in New Zealand and it sits between e-commerce merchants and career companies. And we were looking at packaging in that startup and I sort of hand on my heart, couldn't really be associated with bringing any more plastic into the world because I'd always been passionately uh, anti-packaging and we sort of joke... Both of us can't believe we own a packaging company because it's something we both love to hate. And then at the same time, my daughter, I've got three children, and I think when you have children, it really starts you really start to think about what you are doing to this planet and what you're leaving behind. And My little daughter was about six, and she chose to do her school project on what she called Saving the World, and uh, she did this recording in her cute little baby voice and came up with all these ideas of how she could save the world. And uh, oh, it just got me right here. I mean, it actually still makes me a bit emotional thinking about it. And I just knew I had to act. Uh, and so I wrote up a list of five ideas of, uh, and, and four in the packaging space. And one was to make a sustainable courier satchel. But I had worked with Kate in the other startup and we just had such an amazing working relationship that as soon as i had this idea i reached out to her and said look i'd love to do this with you because we have such a similar value set Uh, the Mm. rest was history (laughs) yeah
3: Yeah. so i i came to this yeah it's sort of actually similar kind of way as beck said so i I'd been a management consultant straight out of university and I did that for five or six years before finally admitting that while I, I learned a huge amount, it wasn't where I was going to be for life. I certainly wasn't didn't want to be a partner in a management consulting firm. And, uh, you know, I really did feel like I checked a lot of my values at the door and I went to work every day. And, and not only that, but I had this whole other side of me, this, you know, my far more creative side that I wasn't using. I would work, uh, Sort 70 80 hour weeks and then work volunteer at art galleries on the weekend to get my fix of what I loved uh so I I left consulting and this is a story for another time and there's probably other podcasts you can find but uh I founded a magazine uh, a magazine called Dumbo Feather in Australia and that was my way of exploring what what I loved which was words and imagery and messaging and in creating something that I felt was going to encourage people to uh, explore and be more confident in exploring what they truly wanted to do with their lives and to try to find work that was values aligned. And I did that by telling the stories of winemakers, filmmakers, entrepreneurs, all sorts of really fascinating individuals who were doing that. Uh, But when I decided to make a magazine, I was really cognizant of the fact that I was going to be creating something and using the world's resources, and I wanted to do that in the most uh, responsible way possible. So the magazine was printed on 100% recycled paper stock. It was the first time anyone had ever done that in the world. It cost me a fortune, but it was just non-negotiable. Soy-based inks, I refused to put it in a plastic sleeve to send to subscribers. So, you know, I'd have these working bees where we'd stuff the magazine into... um, to paper, 100% recycled paper envelopes. So, it, and and I, I would never pulp the unsold issues. I'd always have to pay to collect them back and resell them. So I'd actually, I actually sort of created quite a circular model for the magazine without even knowing what circular economy was at the stage. Uh, and I, you know I did eventually after seven years, um, I sold the magazine to a fantastic uh, crew called Small Giants and they are still publishing it today. Um, but what I learned out of that was what I loved was building values-based brands, or uh, well, a values-based brand, and I knew how strongly that it resonated with Dumbo Feathers readers and subscribers, and I'd found an extraordinary audience through doing that. Uh, and so when Beck approached me with this, this kooky idea <laughs> uh, to create a more sustainable career satchel, I could a, immediately see... opportunity but b i could see that i could add value in that process and um and i could see that you know because we both believed in it so strongly in that mission that that would be a compelling proposition Um, and so that's what we've done yeah long story short
1: Oh, thank you no that's such great stuff because I think a lot of the people listening out there they can see you and they can see the success that you have now, but obviously, our history is so imperative in that uh, in that journey to take us to where we are now so let's go back then are we when are we talking um Rebecca, when you started to have the idea and then you actually went out to find out how on earth you can make a more sustainable packaging solution can you tell us a little bit about the, the technical side of it what was on the market existing and what you chose to focus on initially
2: yeah absolutely and I think I was talking about this with someone yesterday I think we came at the problem really uniquely and that we neither of us had any experience with creating packaging in the past and I think that opened up a lot of opportunity to us because we weren't bogged down by what should be done or how it should be done or anything like that. And I think when you come at a problem from a different angle, quite often you'll have a different answer. And I think that's something that we're really trying to hold on to with our product development going forward is keeping a really open mindset and and anything's on the table and anything's possible. And so that's how we really approached this, is we knew what we didn't want and we set out to find something that was more sustainable Uh, we were really we went on a journey and we actually stepped away from it there was a point there it was sort of about 18 months of r&d there was a point there where a couple of months it was like this isn't going to be possible Um, there's actually nothing in the marketplace that is going to be able to replace what we currently have and we had quite a few false starts so we just literally scaled the world looking for different materials uh, and and what we did find was uh, people were using a home-compostable material for bin liners and dog poo bags, actually. <laughs> and we went, well, imagine if we could take that and turn that into a courier satchel. But we didn't realise a courier satchel is actually quite complex. You know, you need to be able to stick a label to it. The seams need to be really tough so that they don't split in transit it needs um, – you need to be able to sell it and things like that. And so there was a bit of R&D there with that material. So we took a material that was being used for something else and tried to get it used for this this application. Uh, and so there was a little bit of R&D mm. that happened there. And then when we launched it, it was, you know, back in 2018 – we literally put an advert up on a Google ad and within minutes we had a first inquiry and they just kept on coming and the orders we just kept running out of stock because people were just so ready for sustainable options and what we'd shown is that if you make it easy for brands they will choose they will choose those options. Mm. So it was really exciting to to get that feedback and I think I, I know I did I went into the business quite concerned about the state of the environment but after we've had all that incredible feedback from customers and everyone wanting to make changes, it's given me a lot more hope.
3: It's probably also worth mentioning that Sorry. we did take the Alan MacArthur Foundation framework and apply that to every choice we were looking at, um, all those options. And this, is, this was in 2017, 2018. And soft plastics recycling was very much in its infancy. We spoke to Red Cycle. They believed they were, at that time, recycling less than 0.1% of the entire soft plastics within Australia. Sorry, that's my dog. Um, and uh, so we just thought, you know, that, that rules out that as an option. So when we found a material that was home certified home compostable. Uh, that people could dispose of in their own backyards and then our subsequent research suggested that almost 30% of people would have access to home compost. The appeal was what it was immediate, you know, that was um, seemed to be a fantastic solution.
2: We were very uh, careful with our messaging and we still are, you know, to let everybody know that we didn't have all the answers And, and we've been very upfront about this journey that we're on and bringing products that are the best option at that point in time with the knowledge that they're going to continually evolve and we want to take our customers on that journey with us and ourselves we're going on the journey Absolutely. as well and All the world's we world's on the journey isn't it uh, yeah. and and it's it's moving so fast this industry is just moving incredibly fast and it's super exciting and i think that's one of the the key takeaway well the key takeaways for us is that we we make sure we keep our minds and. You know open to what other opportunities are out there and what we have now will be very different to what we have in a couple of years time
1: i loved hearing or reading about you taking it to market you mentioned the the google ad before that got this great response but also perhaps that your initial vision was to try and get to the big users of satchels and disrupt that market but you actually found that it was smaller retailers and e-commerce stores that became your greatest advocates. And I still remember when I first touched uh, one of your products and saw the fantastic branding, I'm a real dirtbag. And the, oh, I'm a circular economy advocate and just thought, finally, here we have someone out there disrupting it. So I would have become a mouthpiece like that. So tell us a little bit about that realisation that it wasn't about going straight to the top. It was actually about building this unique tribe um, at the base level.
3: Uh, Big heads. Uh, through your work with Star Shepherd. She had heaps of contacts with career companies and the like throughout Australia and New Zealand. And so that was what we thought we were going to leverage initially to get this product to market. Um, I don't think we realised sort of how, or without you know, there's a reason those companies go slowly. Um, and there's no, you know, there's not as much willingness to take risks, uh, and that's because the stakes are that much higher. Um, But, you know, of course, all of them said to us, is it proven? Does it work? Are people, you know, is this the right thing? And we said, yes, yes, absolutely, believe us. And they're like, oh, well, we'd need more than just believe us or trust us. So that was when we said, well, let's, instead of trying to sell a million bags to Australia Post, let's do um, our own production run, We'll brand them ourselves, and that's when we came up with I'm a Real Dirtbag, and we decided to make them matte black with funky messaging, very direct messaging. But we knew we needed to cut through, and it had to be obvious that this was different to plastic. and should be treated differently. Uh, and, and it, you know, this was – it felt like a big deal to us. You know, we were going to be printing tens of thousands of these things, uh, but we did that production run. We put it for sale on our website. It sold out in two weeks. We doubled it. It sold out in two weeks. And we have literally been running ever since.
2: Yeah. I think we, we should also add at that time when we, we talk about that Google AdWord, we had all of these small to medium brands getting in touch with us, wanting this product. And as we said, we had this plan to be selling millions of them. And we really – a part of our mission was to make the product accessible and affordable to brands of all sizes. And the MOQ back then was sort of 10,000 units – and because there's a shelf life of a year, there was just no way any of those small brands would be able to have access to that product. And and we and I, I can remember it to this day and know exactly where I was standing. We were on the phone to each other. And we were like, oh, we'll make a we'll set up an e-commerce site and we'll sell it via our e-commerce site because it was the right thing to do. And we really believed in supporting everybody. And and we were gonna actually fulfil it out of my garage. Uh, because we thought it was going to be a real side hustle. And I think it's – and it, and it wasn't. It became one of the fastest-growing sides of our business. And as you mentioned, that's how we got it into the hands of so many different people. Mm. And we started to have those big brands approach us because they'd receive a bikini in one of our bags. And I think it's it's so important to stick to your values and listen to your customers and sort of follow that, that energy mm. and that journey. And by doing that and being true to that, it actually became a really important part of our business Absolutely. and got those dirt bags into the hands of millions and millions of people all around the world. So it was really cool, really neat. And, and we love those brands. It's just such a trick to get to deal with them on a day-to-day basis.
1: For this next bit of questioning, maybe you can bundle together the growth and diversification of your product lines and your expansion overseas i'm not too sure if those two go well together or not but i'd love to touch on both of those uh unique growth periods in the business if you wouldn't mind
3: so from day one we again wanted to make our product successful to businesses of all sizes but anywhere you know we, we it was really important to us that anyone who wanted this packaging was able to get it so we made it available online to, to everyone anywhere and when we'd get an order from uh, somewhere remote in South America would be like okay let's figure out how to get it there <laughs> um and and then what we'd see was where the pockets of demand were and very quickly we saw that there was a huge uptake in Australia so that was the first place we um we got a 3PL uh third party logistics provider to warehouse and distribute our packaging there um and that's really how we've grown since. So we'd wait to build up demand in the market and then when there was enough demand there, we would um, then set up fulfilment within that market. And we now have six warehousing distribution locations around the world that do manage mean that we can service um, with a res- reasonably low carbon footprint uh, because we're not shipping from New Zealand, uh,
2: you know, all those markets around the world. So that's kind of how we expanded globally and we so when we would go in to a market as Kate said it would be driven by demand but quite often by an anchor larger customer Mm. so in the US we actually set up there much earlier than we originally expected because we had a really large customer who could support the demand and the shipping And, and I think Kate was really big on this in the early days which has been amazing which was to outsource as much of our business operations as possible because it meant that we could keep a really small team here in New Zealand uh, and it also kept our footprint really low and by leveraging the a technology software as a service but also uh, third-party logistics providers we didn't have to spend a whole lot of money going into new markets so we could really test the water uh, but we definitely created a logistical <laughs> one that we're still uh still working through but it is it was a really neat way to get into those markets and, and and keep the cost low so i do i do recommend that for brands wanting to test the water in different markets in terms of product expansion what did we do first after mailing satchels with the labels the garment bags so clear, bags yeah, the clear garment bags. The labels took close to two years to develop. They were um, okay. The ever elusive labels. Uh,
3: and then was it foul bags? I mean, we, we really just listened to our customers. Where were their other pain points? Where else were they looking for packaging? What else did they need? Uh, and they have developed it ever since. So clear garment bags were next. Came off the rank um, labels tape uh,
2: padded mailers. Palette wrap, palette wrap. Bubble. We delved yeah. into, but uh, then, you know, we've, as I mentioned earlier, we're, we're constantly looking for that next. What is the next thing in sustainable packaging? And we still, we still felt that while we were reducing the impacts, there was more that we could do. And so, about two years ago, we had the session we just threw all of our preconceived ideas out the door and came into it with a really open mind and said, look, if we had all the money in the world and technology, there was any technology available, what would packaging be made of? And uh, we wrote up a whole lot of different ideas and brainstormed it and keep coming back to that circular economy model and and what they recommend. And where we landed on was that there's so many materials in use at the moment as, as pollution that we should be harvesting that mist, all of that pollution and creating packaging out of it and using a resource that's already in nature uh, rather than digging up and chopping down more trees. And so we got fixated on this idea of creating a range of packaging out of pollution and that's, that's where the idea for Plastic came from and also our other products that we've got on R&D at the moment. So in the future, all of our products will be made out of pollution sources. So this idea that you're actually cleaning up the planet instead
3: of making it more of a mess <laughs> um, is certainly what spins our wheels and where we see the future of packaging. You know, we want to make it to the point where there is no excuse. No one should be, as Beck said, chopping down trees, bring, pulling oil out of the ground. There is enough that's already been made it just needs to be recycled properly mm. um and yeah
2: yeah it doesn't just apply to packaging it's gonna it be every product in the world I mean, when you think of textiles and everything else like we always say i have this vision of landfills being dug up because the resources in the landfill have a value and until we put a value on waste we won't respect it and that's what we're really trying to do is put a value on it so that it People look after it and
1: keep it afloat. So, how hard was it? Obviously, we've been seeing um, ocean-bound plastic and many different sort of brands, maybe looking down products like PET or some of the other hard plastics. But how does the process work when it comes to soft plastics? And what material are they targeting in these communities? And and the, the final piece of that question would be around well, you know, what's the call to action for the customers once they're done with a product now does it go back into the soft plastics recycling system
2: yeah I'll talk a little bit to the difficulties and it goes back to our naivety of when we started this company we didn't have any packaging experience and perhaps if we did we wouldn't have chosen flexible films Mm -hmm. like career satchels and the like because they are the hardest product to work with if you're using recycled materials because there's so many imperfections and because they're so thin those imperfections really show up in the form of holes in the bag <laughs> so there's been a lot of r d in the last two years to get this product off the ground and to get it to a really usable state like the first time we ran it, it was just a big gooey glump uh and so it has been incredibly complex what and we are using a source of pollution that no one really wants to touch. You know, it's all flexible films, it's shopping bags and, uh, say, food packaging wrappers, the kind of things that, you know, it's much easier to pick up a whole water bottle off a beach and recycle it than, than the materials we we're looking at. And so we've really had to create another whole sort of collection stream to do that. But that's what we love about it as well, because we're taking some of the nastiest mm-hmm. plastic. In the world, and, and getting it back into loop, uh, but yeah, and then the end of life options are soft plastics recycling, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of innovation happening in that space as well. Like it's just come such a long way, even in the four years we've been in the industry.
3: I just say on the end of life thing though, <laughs> while it's important, this is pollution. This is plastic that was sitting on a beach about to end up on a coral reef, we've taken it from there, made it, into, um, made it into something that people use and that people will generally receive in their homes. So most plastic pollution is from um, convenience food or stuff that's consumed on the go uh, and often in third world countries, or well, in, in those parts of the world. We're taking that and actually taking it into an environment where Soft plastics recycling is an option, but even if it now ends up in landfill, that's a hell of a lot better place than where it was in the first place, right? So end of life is certainly important, but it's it's only a small part of the picture for why this product's, you know, so important and, and is, um, is so neat.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's go a little bit further. Now, obviously – designing these new products in the plastic range must be one of your key achievements but let's have a little bit more of a dive into some of those key achievements um through this journey and on the backside of that we might start to talk about some of the challenges that you face which is sometimes more than the achievements
2: you yeah, look, we we've faced enough i'll start with the challenges because yeah. we've faced so many and we, and we face them every day i i think of business as just a constant problem solving you know how are you going to get from a to b how are you going to look after a customer who's not happy? Or, you know, there's just so many different ways and different challenges. Supply chain over the last four years has just been uh, just insane. And, And we've actually created a whole new supply chain within all of these supply chain challenges that we've faced. But I think one of the things that we learned quite early on was to really lean in to the challenges and the mistakes and the challenges from people as well, because you get challenged daily by brands and um, competitors and so we've really taken that in and trying to try to learn and grow from it so if we are making mistakes which we make a heck of a lot of especially me (laughs) we go right while we're in that mistake how are we going to learn from this and what can we do to make our business better Uh, and one of the ones that I sort of think of and we've only just been able to start talking about now because it was such a big such a terrible time was what we call stocktober and we realized sort of going into Christmas a couple of years ago that for various reasons a lot of our stock wasn't usable uh, and, and that was caused by the processes that we didn't have in place that were proper and at that time we actually thought the business might not get through it but what we held on to and we had a session right at the beginning of that of how will we never be in this situation again and we wrote up some areas and things that we would need to do once we got through that time of how we'd never be there again. And and I just remember thinking at the time, thank goodness we're going through this now when we're this size and not when we're three or four times as big. And so we held on to those learnings during that time and I think it really helped the team and us get mm. through it together because we knew that we would never get ourselves into those situations again. Um, but, yeah, we, we've made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> yeah we've made
3: products that weren't our core range and we thought that we'd be able to find a whole new market for but without the resources to do that you know it was impossible um yeah we've had QA issues in the past but we now have an extraordinarily thorough QA process that I love (laughs) um
2: we've messaged, we've got the messaging wrong. Uh, Yeah. In the early days we've messaged some of our bubble bags, had the wrong messaging on them. Yeah. We've really learned from that. We trusted at face value sometimes some of the suppliers we were working on and it wasn't until we did a trip to China that we really unraveled a lot of that. And we see a lot of that still happening in the industry with some of our competitors. Um, Yeah. yeah, I
3: mean, I think our, one of the, I wouldn't say it's a mistake, but a key learning was, um, you know, we were the first in the world to commercialise a home compostable courier satchel, really, and but we had no IP in that process, uh, and so we've been copied ad nauseum. Um, and, you know, now if you Google it, there's probably, I don't know, 30 potentially, you know, smaller smaller players out there who, yeah, uh, and, and that's fine um, in a way. It's been really neat to be at the forefront of that wave, um, but from a business perspective, it's actually been quite, quite tough, quite difficult to to watch that that happen. So um, we've certainly uh, made greater strides in, in protecting some of the intelligence that we've gathered and how to and how to make our products going forward. And that's not to say that we're not going to share it, but we're going to share it with and when we feel is responsible way to do that. And with players who we feel are going to treat that knowledge correctly and properly and responsibly, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. But we're learning every day. <laughs>
1: Let's go like straight into that then. I mean, um, that's obviously one very, very important key learning there that you shared, Kate, but um any other sort of significant key learnings that you think are really valuable for, for other founders out there listening to this podcast today?
2: Yeah, I, I think around um, your team and your hiring. So that's it's been an area that the two of us, because it was the two of us for so long. And so then when you go and you start to bring people into that fold, um, we've really changed our recruitment process and been f- super thorough about it now and have sort of we get quite a few members of our team involved in it and uh, do th- sort of four interviews um we have a, a values for interview as well was really important that's actually the first interview that we do what i call sort of a values alignment interview and so we've really we've learned a lot from the recruitment process and trying to onboard people and um making sure that it is a values fit as well as a work ethic fit because of startup culture is brutal at times <laughs> uh, so that, i think that's been a really big learning for us because it's not either kate or my sweet spot it's um, sort of hiring and managing people and so we've learned a lot in that space as well and team yeah. is so important like it's 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 everything as you grow uh, yeah. and we've got the most amazing team because of that all of that learning
1: anything else for you kate
2: i think we've also
3: not necessarily through mistakes but over time we've realized how important the networks are that we've built and how to lead into those and that as time consuming as it can be to be part of all sorts of different bodies and you know we're signatories to a number of packaging packs um we are part of um, an ecosystem here called New Zealand, it's run by New Zealand Trade and Enterprise that's been extraordinarily supportive. Uh, We're part of the Cardia Women's Initiative, we're part of CEO. Uh, Unreasonable. Unreasonable, the Elemental Accelerator. And while they are time-consuming and resource-intensive, you get out what you put in. and, um, And so we've really tried to leverage those networks both ways. So it's not, you know... Vex yeah. has actually been amazing at, at putting in yeah. so much to those networks that what we get out is returned, you know, yeah. three and or I, fourfold
2: And we really, and I think it was really important to us because what we're doing is so important from an impact. It's not just business; it's impact first. And so we have that mentality of we can't do it alone, and we don't have to do it alone. So let's bring everyone into the fold and into the uh-huh. community and. We can all do it together and it's a very different approach for this business that, that we're taking than we did at our previous business because it's a completely different mentality of, mm. of what we're trying to achieve. And, yeah,
3: and I think because we do have a greater mission than just profit-making, uh, it is very easy for other people and, and networks to lean into what we're doing and to want to support us in that mission. Um and especially when you find people and organisations with the same kind of values as you, as, you know, mm-hmm. and, and your organisations are, you know, a fantastic example of that. Um, you know, people want to support and help us because what we're doing has this higher, greater purpose. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Beck and I, the last thing on our minds is lining our own pockets. We genuinely want to leave the world a better place for our kids. Mm-hmm. Um and make as much impact as we can.
1: How important in that purpose piece and impact piece are those certification opportunities, you know, around B Corp, around carbon, around compostability? I mean, it's one thing to, to be and to embody that purpose and that impact, but when, how would you say the certification piece fits into that uh, integrity piece?
3: Well, I think you just nailed it there. It's about integrity. And I think it's becoming more and more difficult to cut through what we'd call greenwashing with, you know, with genuine messages. And when those those messages and claims, let's call them, you know, sort of what they are, are backed up by science and uh, and rigorous science and certifications, then that's the only way that you know we want to operate. And it's the way our customers demand us to operate, particularly. Uh, at the more sort of multinational corporate level, I'd say. Um, So when you're dealing with uh, companies who have sustainability teams and ESG goals and have made commitments to their shareholders and investors and are also signatories to the same packaging packs that we are, um, they need their claims to be backed up by science and certifications Mm -hmm. as well.
2: So it's it's almost a no-brainer. Consumers have a choice and they vote every day with their wallets. And uh, why wouldn't you choose companies that have all the certifications and are B Corp certified? There's so many options out there. It's just, it makes sense. But we really, we wouldn't sell a product that wasn't certified or backed up um, or tested. And then with regards to the B Corp, we really use that framework as a way to build the business from the ground up. Uh, we were using the Big Cook framework way before we even got certified, and we really we use it as a framework of the right way to operate. And it's 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 incredibly it's powerful. Awesome. And, yeah, we love it, and I think the fact that we've done it from the beginning has also made it um, a lot easier because it's so much easier to start with how you intend to go on rather than trying to retrofit it. I think also we were we
3: were quite conscious that we would at the forefront of this industry and uh, and as a leader, as one of the first to do it, we wanted to set the bar as high as we could, you know, so that everyone who was going to follow or come behind also had to do it in preferably as ethical and um, a way as we were. So I'd like to think that we're doing that, you know, we're, we're trying to lead as much by example as, as possible.
1: Your trailblazing and pioneering <laughs> is very welcome. Last couple of questions, um, maybe just tell the listeners what's on the plan ahead for the next sort of 12 to 24 months for a better packaging company.
2: Yeah, so look, we're, um, we're just raising a series A round and we're gonna use those funds to really push into the American market as well as solidify our presence in the Australian market. And to really develop our plastic so there's so many uses for that product from air pillows um, bubble mailers so that we'll be doing a lot of r d with that so you'll start to see a lot more innovation we're also working on a fiber-based ra- range which will be made out of a waste waste slash pollution source as well so that's super exciting we're looking at tree-free and i have to say that <laughs> yeah <laughs> tree-free um, to cardboard and paper alternatives. Yeah, we've actually got some of them sitting mm-hmm. on our desk, uh, which are quite neat. <laughs> <laughs> and that, so, yeah, just really expanding the ranges that we have and we sort of see those three ranges sitting side by side, so the fibre, the compostable um, and the recycled uh, and just making that full end-to-end supply chain as sustainable as possible for brands. Uh, but we, we really just want... We really believe in a world where there's there's no more virgin materials being used, uh, that we're using everything that's in loop. So we're going to be working our hardest to make that happen and hopefully putting pressure on other packaging companies to do the same.
1: I'm sure you will be and you already are. All right, we're getting very close to wrapping it up then. Um, any things that you wanted to speak about today that you haven't had the chance to speak about yet? And, uh as you can wrap that up as to sort of telling people where they can follow the journey and and support you through. It would be great. We've covered
3: quite a bit. I think we have. (laughs) Uh, uh, You know, I think think we have to. Thank you for asking such um, pertinent questions. Uh, If people do want to follow the journey, then our website is betterpackaging.com and we regularly post post blogs uh, on there. Also, of course, social media at Better Packaging Co., Uh, you'll get a bit more of an insight a bit more of a I guess off the record type insight (laughs) into what happens uh, as well as any new um, products and iterations that we bring out Um, sign up to our e-newsletter there's a box on the site Uh, yeah we we love hearing from anyone and everyone with their ideas their pain points um, what they want more of what they want less of so um, yeah drop us a line at any time
1: well, thank you both so much for your incredible work, and thank you for sharing uh, your story here on the Ocean Impact podcast today.
3: Amazing.
0: Thank, thank you for having us.
2: can take the ocean out of me.